Good morning. As you have heard, my name is George Tollas, and I serve as a pastor in Athens, Greece. I bring the regards and the love of the community of the believers uh, from the church in Athens. I would like you to. I would. I would like to to invite you to uh, follow uh, and read from the Holy Bible the verses from uh, the Epistle of Philippians, the second chapter, the verses from four to, to eleven. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Six months into the financial and refugee crisis, Uh, In Greece, a book came out that was nominated and awarded amongst 180 other new titles as the best new title for the year 2015. This book, entitled, contains 20 stories under the general theme of solidarity. And I would like to read you a small segment How is that I want to help everyone around me? How I wish no one would sleep anymore on the wet pavements and no one will be hungry. What is called charity or solidarity? But can it actually be solidarity since I am not in the same position as they are? Since I'm not living at, since I'm not living in that lady's shoes that came up to me the other day at the train station begging for some money, I think God should turn and pay close attention at these open hands. But He is God and of course He sees everything. And He cannot turn a blind eye but he's waiting from the people to do something in order for these people's hands to close again. And for these hands to close, we need to care practically for them. I am not near at all, after all. I'm far away. I have a house in the city, a house in the countryside. I have a passport a country, a religion, a family, a coffee from Starbucks on the one hand and a glass of wine on the other. My God, what should I do? 
I tell myself confused. I cannot carry my own responsibility. My name is Joy, but I am not enough to bring it to everyone. This is part of uh, one of the 20 stories of the book. The rest describe the bad financial situation that many Greeks are in right now, and also other stories that deal with the social isolation that the refugees find themselves in. In short, we could say that the main message of this book focuses on a need that all people have, which is our need to approach others and become close to them and for others to come close to us. This is not something that should surprise Christians since the Bible talks about this same deep need of our souls. We are made for intimate relationships. In the first chapter of Genesis, we see that God looked at his creation and said that it is good. The sun was good, the sea was good, the animals were good, everything he made was good. Everything but Adam who was alone. We read that in Genesis 2.15, God looking at Adam's loneliness said that it was not good for man to be alone. God designed us to have intimate relationship with him and with others. But after the fall, humans became people that were seeking their own interest. We did not believe that God was seeking out for our own good. And so we tried to look for ourselves what is good. Because of that, Adam and Eve experienced isolation from God, and we experienced the same isolation from Him, but also from one another. After the fall, we live with this conflict in our own hearts. On the one hand, we want to have intimate relationships. But on the other, we realize that this will never happen so long as we are more interested in ourselves rather than in others. Self-centeredness is a problem of all times, and it was the main problem even in Paul's time. Paul, in the verses we read in Philippians, tackles the same problem, that of self-centeredness. Then he provides us with a solution to this problem. And lastly, he turns our attention to the source, to the power we need for this kind of life. Let's read the verses that reveal the problem. In the first three verses of second chapter of Philippians, Paul expresses his main concern for the church, which is that of unity and love towards one another. Twice in these verses, he says how important it is for the church to be of the same mind. We read about this in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. At the center of all 
he tells them to bring their thinking in line with each other. This challenge, as Paul will shortly, shortly demonstrate, emerges from the very heart of the gospel itself. Christians are to perform the extraordinary task of looking at one another with the assumption that everybody else and his needs are more important than themselves are. But the problem is that everyone is looking out for his own interest. As we said before, Paul refers to the problem of self-centeredness, which is a sickness that withholds from the church its power and livelihood and dynamism. And this problem doesn't refer only to the church, but as we have said, to the whole world. Right now, this theological truth is confirmed in Greece even by non-Christians, sociologists, who say, as they see the situation of financial and refugee crisis in Greece, they all agree that what will make a society better is not the technological progress or the financial prosperity, but quality relationships between the citizens. This certainly applies to Greece, but I believe you will agree with me that is something that characterizes many societies around the world. I believe that all of us arrive at the same conclusion when we ask ourselves, how much are we actually interested in real relationships? Or how much time do we spend with other people? Or are we really interested in serving others? Or do we believe that other people deserve to have what we have? Our experience shows that we are preoccupied with ourselves. And that was the exact same problem in the days of Paul. Except this verse in Philippians 2.4, we have one more reference to the same problem in the second chapter of Philippians verse 19 to 21, where Paul mentions, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have known like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Again, Paul mentions that same problem in verse 2-4, where it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests. The problem of the church is self-centeredness. The fact that we care for ourselves and our needs and our, we are indifferent towards others. We make plans we spend our time and money, all the while putting ourselves at the center of everything, leaving every, everyone else outside. The goal is the fulfillment 
of our needs. So Paul reveals us to us the problem of self-centeredness, but also reveals to us the solution to this problem. The solution to this problem of being interested only for yourself is to start being interesting, interested sorry, in others. The solution to the problem of self-centeredness is other-centeredness. Paul in verse 4 will make it clear. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He mentions in this verse two important actions that both of them aim to make us less preoccupied with ourselves and more with others. First, he emphasizes emphasizes on personal responsibility that each Christian has. Consider carefully your personal responsibility and calling. The first stop of this trip from self-centeredness to other-centeredness is the realization of our personal responsibility. The first part has to do with the hearing of the calling of of God to us and his will to seek the good of others. Paul, in the ancient Greek text, he will uh, mention twice the following sentence. He will mention twice the sentence, it's of you. It's of you. Why does he do that? Because he wants to make certain that this, his audience will understand that being interested in others is not the job of a handful of people. It's not the pastor's job alone. The pastor and the elders are the example, but everyone is responsible. We are all called to care for the needs of, our, of other people. Does this calling from God strike a chord in your heart today that he wants you to use you for his glory? One of the tragedies in the churches is the cultivation of the wrong impression that the pastors and the elders are responsible for the whole work of ministry. I recently apologized to my congregation because many times I gave them this wrong impression. It was recently, and because of the refugee crisis, that God was showing me that I am not enough to do it on my own, and that I need my brothers and sisters to work together in order to seek other people's interest. God sometimes must humble us before he uses us. There are people in the church that need to understand their need to be served by their brothers. There are people in the church that need to recognize their personal responsibility. God is calling each one of us. The responsibility is everyone's, not of the few, not for the few. If this is true for all of us, then the question that occurs 
is for whom do you really care for? Who is the person that you have come close to lately? That you have invited over your house? Who is the person that, that you call? Could you name one person that you seek out his interest? I remember when this happened to me in my life, when other people served me and cared for me in moments of great need. One of the moments was when me, my wife, and I were studying at Westminster Seminary of Philadelphia. What encouraged us were certain brothers and sisters in Christ that were very hospitable towards us and provide for us a family when we need it the most. That is a memory that to this day really touches our heart and makes us thankful to God. God, therefore, is calling each one of us to serve other people. But also, he shows the way that we should do that. Look again in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He mentions the word interest. And again, sorry that I will refer to the ancient Greek text. I hope that this will be inspiring. In the ancient Greek text, mentions the verb skopudes, which means to exert effort in continually acquiring information regarding some matter. The meaning of this word does not refer to a mere sensitivity towards others, nor a simple care for others, but it has a deeper meaning that has to do with a strategic plan of pursuing the good of others. Seek thoughtfully other people, people's interests. Therefore, the, the goal is not just to find some spare time or to be willing to wait to have some opportunities. But the way is to be strategically intentional towards others. God is not willing to leave such an important matter to our own good intentions. But contrary, he is calling us to be interested in others by plan. When someone has a goal, he does not wait but makes a plan, disciplines himself and acts. That is what God asks from us. God is calling us to be the church that will have a vision that is according to the gospel. He calls us to build relationships before we think of building church programs. He is calling us to become involved in other people's life, lives. Has anything like this ever happened to you before? Do you seek the interest of someone else in the same way that you seek it for yourself? Paul will say, do not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
But someone here may reply that this is a difficult task. It's not easy to have this mind as Paul wishes in verse 2. And the answer to this objection is that you are absolutely right. We can not do all these things by ourselves. Unity by itself cannot be the final aim. That's not what Paul has in mind. After, after all, unity is possible among thieves, adulterers, and many other types. Those who commit genocides need to do so with huge corporate single-mindedness. No. What matters is that Christians, like the actors, should focus completely on the divine drama that has, unfold, un, has unfolded before their eyes in Jesus the King and is continuing now into its final act with themselves as the characters. Therefore, our power is not our agreement to have the same mind, but our power is to have, to have the same mind of Christ. We read in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The power for the life of other centeredness is the gospel of Christ. The astonishing thing about the gospel is that it doesn't teach moralism. In the verses that follow 5 to 11, Paul talks about the way and the power to live this life. So far, we have seen that we are called to consider carefully, each one of us, the call of God. And then we have seen that our target is to seek thoughtfully the interest of others. But what does this mean exactly? In verse 5, we read about the mind of Christ and the reason that the curtain is drawn in these verses is for us to be able to see behind the curtain. Not only what Christ did, but also why he did it. It is so that we can have the same mind of Christ. In other words, verse 5 does not say that this is what Christ's mind is, but it says, let this mind be yours. God will never share with us his most intimate thoughts just for us to say that we know them. The reason why he reveals himself to us is to change the way we think, act, and look. How can we fill other people's shoes? The life of Christ is our example. So let's see what it means to have the same mind of Christ. The first way that we should seek other people's interest is by impressing, embracing humanity holistically. We are called to become more human. Christ in verse 7 denied everything and became human. We read in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form 
of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Underline the word human form. The message of the incarnation is not just that Christ came close to us, but that he took human form, identified with our needs, entered our dead ends, got involved with our failures and problems. This is the reverse move from what we usually attempt. We tend to want to become more spiritual by ignoring the material dimension of the human existence. But Christ embraces the soul and the body. He identifies with us. He takes on our human form and rescues, rescues it from decay and death. Should the church be involved in the everyday matters of life or should it only preoccupy herself with the spiritual? I believe that the answer is obvious. The church that worships the incarnated God can never cut herself out of the world. Her mission is the world. The refugee crisis reaffirmed this truth in our hearts. All these people that were traveling through the Mediterranean Sea had spiritual needs, but also material needs. The example of a non-Christian volunteer back in my country in the refugee camp one day convinced me that it is very easy to miss, uh, to miss out the care for the material needs of other people. I remember this day where I was sorting out piles of clothes and I was in a hurry to go to my next meeting and there was this woman that asked me if she could take some of the clothes for the refugees at her home in order to wash them, to clean them. I was shocked. I confess that until that moment, I didn't seek so thoughtfully to serve the refugees' need. It is so easy to act mechanically and not seek thoughtfully to serve the spiritual but also the material needs. This is because in the church we find this false dichotomy of spiritual and physical goods. And we say that the purpose of the church is to be interested in the spiritual needs alone and the souls of the people. But in light of what we have read, we understand that this is very hypocritical. No Christian says that the most important thing is his soul, since all of us are interested about many other things. The Word of God says that if this applies to you, then it should apply to others too. The call for Christians is to seek for the interest of others the way Christ 
did it by embracing the whole of human nature. So to have the mind of Christ is that we should have a holistic approach to other people, but also to have the attitude of sacrifice. To have the mind of Christ, of Christ means to have an attitude of sacrifice. In the verses from 5 to 11, we also read that Christ did not just take human form, but also became servant. He emptied himself in verse 7 by taking the form of a servant. And in verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In the Gospel of John 1.14, we read that Christ revealed his glory through signs and miracles, but mainly on the cross. What does this mean for us? How does this shape us? And how does it determine our missions? We usually avoid going to the one that is in need because we are afraid of getting too involved. Our God, though, got way too involved with us to the point of death. The church must become interested for the world even if that means that it must bleed. The kind of decision comes at a cost. The first thing that we are called to leave behind us is our rights. My right to use my time the way I please. My right to do only what I enjoy. However, such a sacrificial presence is impossible for us if Christ is only an example that we follow. To have the mind of Christ is to know, is to think and act like Christ, but also to have the mind of Christ is to know the deepest motives of his heart. That he took human form and sacrificed himself because of his love. His love for you and me. Christ is not only our example and the way that we learn how to seek other people's interest, but he is also our strength. He is the one that accepted the call to come and serve us. He is the one that thoughtfully seeked our interest. He is the one that approached us holistically. He is the one who was sacrificed for us. He embraced our humanity, also served us to the point of death. It is when the gospel takes roots in our hearts that we will desire to have the mind and life of Christ. Only then we will ask the strength from God to be other-centered and less self-centered. Let's stand with an attitude of repentance for our self-centeredness and ask His strength to live out the gospel. Amen.